I just looked at a player trying to make it, make it in the NBA or become first team all conference or whatever it is. What holds them back? What are those things? Just as a coach, we got to look them in the eye and and say, I'm not going to cheat you. I'm going to hold you accountable to this. You cannot do this shit and end up where you want to end up. That's what it was. The best of the best I've been around, they are who they say they are, and they do what they say they're going to do. Hi, I'm Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome one of the most sought-after player development coaches for NBA, college, and high-level players anywhere, Phil Beckner. Coach Beckner is here today to discuss the difference between development, skill development, and conceptual workouts, pushing through plateaus, and we talk developing standards and drills gone wrong during the always fun start, sub, or sit. With members from the MBA to high school levels, we're excited to continue building a highly valuable learning and community platform called SG+. With SG+, we aim to bring the highest quality and deepest insights of the game from around the world on a weekly basis through our almost 600 video archive on SGTV, private coaching community app, and our long read Sunday morning newsletter. If you're looking to explore and learn the game on a deeper level, or just save yourself time searching the internet for the best backdoor plays in Europe, visit slappingglass.com today and see why current members are calling it an essential platform for high-level coaching anywhere. And now, please enjoy our conversation with coach Phil Beckner. Phil, thank you very much for making the time for us. I know you're hitting the busy time of year for you, so we appreciate the time this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big fan of what you guys do. Like I said, two basketball junkies. I wouldn't rather hang out with anyone else this morning. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So, Coach, let's dive in right away. There's something that we actually heard you speak on another podcast about, which was these three different types of workouts that you would put players through or teams through. Skill development, development, there's another one you mentioned conceptual workouts and we wanted to start there with the conceptual workouts what those are how you build them and then we'll kind of explore from there yeah this is something i actually just talked about yesterday with one of probably the major agents in the country she works with one of the top agencies and she wants to send three or four players out to phoenix and she wanted to see the structure of what we do throughout the week. One of the things I think that was eye-opening for her and her players' development was those three different types of workouts. So like you said, development, that is really just, you know, teaching slower, not about the pace, really getting guys to understand, you know, where they're trying to get to, understand what we're trying to work on, and also just feel those things with their body, you know, like biomechanically or skill-wise, really feel those things. A skill development workout is probably what all coaches do. You know, you have everything in that. You have ball handling, finishing, change pace, change direction, driving kick, shooting. It's just the mm -hmm. whole gamut, you know, your 45-minute hour workout. And then what we've really tried to grow in, once we've worked a great deal of developmental workouts and a great deal of skill development workouts, we really try to combine it all and see if a kid could apply it or the player could apply it in a conceptual workout. Really, it comes down to three things. And, you know, one of the best things I think we do with guys is shooting the basketball. We talk about shooting is the separator all the time. We have this foundation shooting series we do to build base, balance, rhythm, technique. So these conceptual workouts, we want to see if we could take what we've done from shooting, take what we've done from now a skill and biomechanical and, and kind of body aspect, and then put them in a concept whether that's a pick and roll play, drive and kick. One thing we love, I was doing this with the 76ers last year in summer league. We would do different types of movements and different types of variations in workout. Like a player might come downhill, attack mode, give a move, give a shake, go to a finish. After that finish, they stop. They got to almost catch their breath, reset. Now they're cutting into the corner for like a corner three because we know how important it is to make corner threes in the NBA. Then the third thing we would combine is they got to do like we call it a bounce out. They got to like dribble, bounce out of the corner, pass the ball to a coach, 
and now they're making a read or executing a concept based on what the coach does. So if you think about it, we just tested them or evaluated them or challenged them in three different areas. And then from a deeper aspect, we're trying to see if they could continue to do their foundation shooting, continue to you know execute their skills. And then the biggest thing, which we all know in conceptual workout is like, are they able to concentrate and execute and do four or five things? And here's how I'd close answering this question a little bit. I have one NBA player and one pre-draft guy in Phoenix right now. And that's it. Those are the only two guys I'm training all week. And the NBA player was like a top five draft pick. Hell of a guy. And this young college guy just did a conceptual workout. And I said, here's the difference between like good, great, and elite, or the difference between pros and prospects. I gave you five things to do in this conceptual workout or in this conceptual framework of our workout. And you only executed three of them. He forgot two different parts. He threw one pass the wrong way. He couldn't get his feet set in the corner. So I love that you opened it up with this question because so many times it's always about skill development or always about shooting development. And we have this narrowed specific process, but to get them to execute three, four, five things based on what we've been doing, that's where we throw these conceptual workouts at them. Coach, great stuff there. I like to just, you mentioned concentration. Obviously, that's a big part of these conceptual workouts. And in the example you gave us between the pro and the prospect, where the prospect was only able to execute three, I guess, what do you notice in terms of Mm -hmm. the struggle they have in concentrating and how do you then help them? Is it just, they just got to get the reps of these drills or I guess, where is then you're trying to work your magic with him to get him better concentrated? Yeah, Patrick, I think that's where coaches have to do better. It's not a struggle just based on the kid's focus or the kid's concentration. We have to teach them how to listen, how to learn, and most importantly, how to comprehend what we're talking about. And again, that's a step-by-step process. Does the player know how to listen? Does he know how to learn? And then the third thing, does he know how to comprehend it once we start moving around? So I talk to guys about how they listen. Like, did you visually see the spots I'm putting you on the court? Did you hear how many dribbles we're using? Like, is it two pounds and one punch drill? Are you counting in your head? Like, are you a good listener to understand that? And as you move forward with this stuff, and and we talk about this all the time, like in my coach's mentorship group, or when we're consulting with other teams and younger coaches who are trying to get better at development, I think the elite coaches nowadays are the best teachers. Can you teach these guys how to listen, how to understand, how to comprehend? Everyone wants comprehension, right, Patrick? That's what you're talking about. You want them to execute to get five out of five, but we're kind of skipping steps one and two there. So when I go through that with the player, I'll ask them, and again, almost everyone's visual learners, but I'll ask them like, what are you doing? Like literally, what are you doing? And they'll be like, okay, I'm running up and I'm going to the free throw line and I'm giving a glide dribble. No, 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 no. You're starting with a great posture. You're starting with a great pound dribble. And one of the best things, I think, to get players to comprehend and execute better is to teach them how to start better. And I mean, think about that. Even as humans, and we do this with just like leadership consulting and high-performance consulting as well, we always say it starts with how you start. So if you want to be a better listener, you want to be a better learner, or you want your players Or even if I'm coaching a player right now, you want someone to excel in conceptual work. And that's more the elite tier, you know, the harder tier of development Mm -hmm. because you're combining everything. It starts with how you start. And here's what I do. I line them up. I ask them if they watch football. And I think the hardest job in football, everyone says it's being a quarterback because you have to lead and know every play. I think one of the hardest jobs to execute physically in football is being a defensive back like being a corner. Think about it. You are guarding like a freaking unbelievable elite athlete, someone who could probably be an Olympian, and you got all this field behind you. That is a hard job. And here's what I've learned talking to other football coaches. If that corner does not start in the right position, the right stance, even if they're just off by a foot just a little bit, they're beat like seven times out of 10. So it's so important how we start. But then in basketball, since it's a constant moving game and you're constantly moving with the ball, we don't pay attention to how we start all the time. So to get these guys to comprehend, to learn and to listen better, 
we have to be great starters. Like, did you start with the right amount of dribbles? Did you start with your butt down and chin up? And then once they're starting well, now we can have those performance-based questions and get the feedback from the player of what they're hearing, what they're understanding, and what they have to execute to be successful in those type of workouts. Going back to the player you mentioned about only doing three out of the five versus the pro doing you know the five out of the five, I've heard you know coaches talk about overloading players in player development sessions or conceptual sessions to really try to push the boundary of what they can do. How do you think about overloading or, you know, having too much, almost too much information for them to push them to higher levels? Dan, I'm so glad you asked that. That's a phenomenal question because I didn't specify what those five things were. You guys could have thought they were like, you better have your foot here, your ball play, all these micromanagement type skills, right? What I'm talking about with five things is like five movement patterns or five places to go. Not so much the minute skills, those little, you know, tiny things they got to work on. Here's an example, like the drill I gave you in the summer where it's like up attack mode, got to get to the rim and finish maybe against contact. The next one now we're doing like a cut into three, you know what I mean? To the corner. Mm -hmm. The last one was a bounce out and a pass. Now you're reading whether the coach drives it away from you or the coach drives it to you. So those are the four core things they have to execute. The drive, the cut, the shot, the movement, or five, the read off the coach. I don't think that's overloading a guy. That's what they have to know as a whole, right? Within that, what we do is we give them two major points of emphasis, and this helped me a ton in my career. The word intentional is so important. Intentional means deliberate. It means done on purpose. So while they're in that conceptual framework or while they're in these multiple faceted drills or concepts, I only give them one or two things they absolutely have to execute skill-wise or like micro skill-wise, like really, really small. So, you know, a lot of the common ones are their posture, like butt down, chin up, because you can't do anything if you're not in a good, great posture. Another one is the height of the handle, how high that ball's going up to them, because that affects whether they could throw an on-time, on-target pass, whether they could get it in their shooting pocket to shoot an accurate shot. Another one simply might just be their effort or their force that they're playing with. Force means doesn't mean fast. It means how hard you're doing something. So again, we might have one intentional specific emphasis and then four or five kind of areas or movements that they got to execute. And I mean, Dan, that's where at the end of the day, movements and spatial spots are not, in my opinion, not overloading the player. It's those kind of, you know, small adjustments, small teaching points where now they're thinking too much and they can't be in a natural flow or natural rhythm. Spinning back to the conceptual workouts for a second too, how you come up with those drills yourself? Like what it is your process of actually putting those drills in place, how you either study film work with the player on the types of things they do on their team. How do you get to the place where you put those drills into place? Yeah, you're diving in. You're still in like all my stuff here. I'm just giving the formula away, man. This, no, this is like coaching clinic 101. This is, this is I got to bring you guys out to Phoenix. We'll just, yeah. Let us know. We'll be there. No, that's really good. Um, I think there's two ways. Okay. And this is something we have found to be successful and not because we determined it successful, but because the players determined it successful. You think about it. If you want to really develop players or get your team better, and this isn't just player development, this is team concepts too, obviously your players will tell you what is and what is not working. And we got to be willing to hear that as a coach, we got to have enough humility. And I'm talking about what's working, not just what they like. Because as humans, we all like comfortable stuff. We all like the fun stuff. And that's not what we always need. So to answer your question, how do we come up with like kind of what patterns or what concepts? Two things. Number one does not happen a lot anymore in our game. And it's a big part of our development philosophy. Tony Bennett, who coaches at Virginia, his dad, Dick Bennett, you know, is a heck of a coach. And he said this a long time ago. you got to be great at the things that happen a lot. You got to be great at the things that happen a lot. So if you think about it, if we watch like last night, the Suns and Clippers play, if you watch that game, there are certain things that happen a lot for every player. 
They have to pull over. They have to run the floor and get to the wing or get to a corner. They have to back cut or play against pressure when they're denied. You know, I could just keep going and go. Mm-hmm. There are things that happen a lot. And what happens, we're always thinking about these next levels of what the player needs or what he has to do to be great. And we forget to dominate those things that happen a lot. So number one, we come up with those absolutes, those type things, and we're going to get every player really, really good or great at those. So that's number one where we start. Like I said, whether it's a back cut, whether it's a pullover, spacing, reading penetration, those things happen a lot. The finer point of where it comes into, and this is the part where everyone usually wants to dive into and they skip the core absolutes. We're going to watch how that player's team plays, like where our game is at. Like right now, everyone plays at a delay, you know, a five out, you know, type of motion cutting. Everyone could handle the ball. We're going to watch style of play. And then we're going to watch specific role for that player because there are some wings. And again, I've coached at every level. I've coached high school. I've coached college. I've coached in the NBA. I train players at every level now. And I think there are things that people think just happened in the NBA and we can't do it at the high school level or college level. That's true. I get it. But when I'm talking about style of play and specific role translates through every level, there are some wings out there who will never play in a pick and roll, whether it's high school, college or NBA. They'll play in two pick and rolls, maybe every game. So that's not very important. But there are some wings on some teams. They're going to play multiple pick and rolls every night because that's how they move the ball. So I know I've been kind of long winded on this question, but I just think it's so important to be great at the things that happen a lot. But then also moving forward, just knowing like what is the style of play of that team? What is the role that that kid is going to be in? And what are those things they got to execute? And then we build the three, four, five concepts or movement patterns out of that. And coach. Piggybacking off that, when you've defined like the things that happen a lot or like the driving kicks, if you're going to do these conceptual workouts, maybe small groups, maybe two or three players, how do you think about how they should interact in terms of how you put together some drills that way to get the most bang for your buck when developing these concepts? Yeah, my mentor, Rod Olson, phenomenal guy. He's a coach of coaches, phenomenal teacher. He was actually a football guy. He had a great phrase he taught me like seven years ago. He says, coach and lead with the end in mind coach and lead with end in mind. So when we do do something with only three or four players, you might have a big guy, a wing and a point guard. If it's just a day where I want to challenge them mentally or challenge them to maybe, we call them separators all the time. I'm actually writing a book right now that are just like separators in five different areas for players and coaches that everyone could go through. If I'm coaching with the end in mind, and maybe we want to be outside the box and get these guys better, which I think get them better at things maybe not everyone's doing nowadays, because what we say, you know, all the time, what used to be normal is now the exception. Not everyone is doing what used to be done. Not everyone's a great teammate, you know, high-fiving guys. We talk about this all the time with young point guards in the NBA. We need point guards to direct and tell other guys where to freaking go. Like, no, you are in the corner, move over there. You got to be a, you know, a director out Mm -hmm. there. So here's one thing, the three people in a workout, Sometimes I want them to think so much and understand so much. I will not even show them where to go. I will talk and teach where to go. Be like, all right, point guard, you're starting right here in the slot. Wing, you're in the corner. Big guy, you're in the opposite dunker or dunk spot, right? And then literally I'll show them where to go, ask, and this is what I think all great coaches, teachers, and development coaches do, like ask, do you have any questions? Because we like throw it at them. Like now they get a chance to speak in front of a group or a chance to articulate their question. But here's the best thing we do, Patrick, is sometimes and not all the time is like, I want that point guard to get so good. He knows the big guy's spot, not just where the big guy's supposed to be. And you already know the answer to this question, what I'm about to say. How do I get that point guard to know that spot really, really well? Make him play that spot. And he'll never do it in a game, maybe. And you could say, Phil, you're wasting time. And I'm like, you know what? Bullshit. We've developed some of the best point guards, some of the best leaders out there. And the reason why, here's a great, you know, everyone wants these Dame stories. Damian Lillard used to always want to work out by himself, not because he was selfish, not because he didn't like his teammates. He wanted every single rep to himself. He didn't want someone to screw up the workout. (laughs) 
He didn't want someone to slow him down, but he got so good. He could dominate these workouts. And then I heard about Tom Brady and that's someone Dame admires a ton. I admire a ton. And they said Tom Brady could actually coach some of the receivers almost better than some of the receivers coaches could, or he would know the receivers route better than the receiver would. So we're trying to get like, again, separator, trying to get this separator for Dame about playing his position and orchestrating guys on the floor and getting them in their spot. And I remember he was, it was when I was coaching at Boise State, I said, hey, I'm going to have two college guys working out with you today. And he was just freaking pissed. He's like, no. And again, we're doing conceptual work. I'm like, first of all, you need partners. You need to be able to work out with someone and quit passing it to coaches and trainers. And he's like, no, they're going to slow down my workout. I ain't trying to teach them the whole time. And I go, stop. That's where you can get good. When you really, really, really know this stuff, you could teach it to others. And I have a picture of him somewhere with his arm around the point guard at Boise State, who we had, and he's pointing and he's showing him change pace, change direction. And there's a big guy down there in the spots. Dame was willing. And again, this was five, you know, seven years ago, actually. But he was willing to learn every spot, teach every spot and go through it that way. So going back to your original question, you said, how many guys get to drive and kick it or how we don't do that all the time, but I think that's a big separator, putting multiple guys in multiple spots and knowing how to play this spot, knowing where to go, being able to teach and instruct someone else like, no, 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 bro. We're rotating clockwise, not counterclockwise. Now we're engaging their mind, their level of concentration, their level of communication. And those things are going to separate in the long run because not a lot of people are doing it anymore. Coach, we'll have to have you come back on when you get that book out to talk through all the other separators. <laughs> you have a standing invitation once it does. Appreciate it. Pat and I were talking beforehand a little bit about like the great coaches that can coach players or teams through plateaus, whether it's a skill plateau, where they're shooting just not ticking up to where they want it to, or conceptually as a team, they're having a tough time getting through that plateau. I wanted to ask you about that because you're working with great players from all levels all the time. And I'm sure there's these places where they shoot off and get a lot better quickly. And then the plateau comes where they've got to work through it. And outside of maybe continuing to work hard, we assume all of these guys are going to work hard when they come to you. How do you work on a player breaking through a plateau and finding new space to become better? This is like you did some secret research on me <laughs> with this question, because I'll tell you what, I was a freaking jerk as a college coach a lot of the times. No, I really, and like, I wouldn't accept a, a plateau. Like I just like, no, not happening. Not If you want to get players better when they hit a plateau, I think the number one thing you got to do is approach it with some maturity as a coach and realize like you've been through plateaus. You're human. How do you feel when you go through it? And I think that level of empathy separates because you are putting yourself in their shoes, knowing exactly how they feel, what they're going through. They might be just like pounding, 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 like trying to get this done. Here's a great example. We have a bunch of score time standard shooting drills that we do. Here's a good one too, for all the coaches listening. I think this happens all the time and you could use this term at any level. Like you said, you guys are going to practice today and workouts today. You never want to get MBA'd with your reps. Have you guys heard that before? No. no. It's so freaking good. And like Evan Turner tells me this, Dave tells me this, and these dudes are like competitive. The NBA, there's so many games, there's so many days. And like in the NBA, they say every day is Wednesday. Like when I'm with the Sixers or going out and trying, I don't even know what day of the week it is because it's just, it's either game day or a workout day. That's all, that, that's all it is. But you just do this stuff so often so you get bored with it you know your mind goes and what these players say is like i just start to shoot these nba reps it's almost like you're shooting but you're thinking like dame's thinking about man i gotta go pick up my twins after this and take them to their swimming lessons Uh, Mm -hmm. or like evan turner was so competitive he's like nah i'm not trying to get nba'd with my reps like Mm -hmm. coach me push me challenge me. I'm not trying to do 250 reps after practice. I'm trying to do 75 sharp, precise, and detailed. So we always say like, you can't get MBA with your reps. So don't let your coach or trainer MBA with your reps. But I think what that leads to, Dan, is being plateaued. So what we do a ton, we have a bunch of scored time shooting drills because we don't want guys just to like do conditioning. We want to be conditioned mentally, 
physically and be strong enough to make shots all the time. But what happens is these guys, like, man, they're always at 40 in three-minute threes, or they're always at 50. They plateau and they can't do it. Here's our approach. One, have empathy, have understanding, know it sucks, know we all do this as humans. And the biggest thing we do now, and it's what I didn't do, I was a jerk as a college coach, you got to get away from it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like you have to slow down, breathe, go take a day off, get away, recharge. And you hear about Steph and Steve Kerr, these guys golf, Dame raps, Dame will go to the studio during the season. And like, that's his release. Like they have to have a filter, like filter keeps the bad stuff out or they have to have an outlet outlets, Mm -hmm. get the bad shit out. Right. They have to have those in approaching any type of plateau. The second part, the basketball part of it, which everyone wants, and they all, they have already skipped the empathy. They already forgot what I just said about being NBA and all this, you know, mental performance stuff. But to get them through the plateau physically, I think you've got to be super specific with mechanics. Like they are usually doing something wrong or doing something average or doing something mediocre that they have to focus on and feel. And here's what I talk about all the time. I just told Chet Holmgren this the other day, actually, you know, phenomenal kid, number two pick. I said, you're hiring me to work with you. It's my job to think about this stuff and plan it for you. When you get on the court, it's your job to feel it. And if Mm -hmm. these guys could feel and adjust and correct, I think they break out of that plateau a lot quicker. But again, Dan, Everyone just probably skipped what I said. It starts with empathy. It starts with having a filter or an outlet. It starts with being aware that like, I can't get MBA to my reps right now. I'm just wasting time. This is just a bunch of activity without achievement. That's the number one separator. That's the most important thing. And then after that, we got to find that minute thing that we got to fix or that thing we got to tweak. And then we could teach it or we could see it and analyze it. But it's our job to teach and our job to think. It's their job to feel and get it right. Phil, you you mentioned that you're a jerk as a college coach. <laughs> I'm wondering what changed about how you view helping players from that time to now. Um, man, that's a good question. I've shared you know some of my personal story. Part of it, I just got uh, so burnt out. That's why I left college coaching. And I actually thought I was going to take an MBA job. I was talking to some different teams. I said no to different teams and said, hey, I'm going to start my own training development, high performance you know, company. I think the biggest thing was I grew up, I'm a jerk. And I was challenged with this question. I haven't shared this actually. I worked for the Thunder for a year. Mark Dagnall, who's now the head coach of the Thunder, we were the first G League coaches to coach the G League team in Oklahoma City. They moved it there. Sam Presti saw me speak at a clinic in Florida. Phenomenal opportunity. I got out there for 10, 15 minutes. He hired me a year later. And what I had been good at, at the college level especially, was taking players from good to great or great to elite. And I was really, really good with the best players on the team. And Mark Dagnall, who's a phenomenal leader, phenomenal communicator, just this phenomenal person. I'm now coaching a bunch of G League guys, and I'm assigned like our first and second round draft pick in the G League, and I'm doing great with them, but I couldn't coach the guys at the end of the roster. Or I didn't do good with like some younger coaches who are just mediocre habits. And he said, Phil, he's like, I worked for Billy Donovan of Florida. He goes, you know what made him so good? He could get everybody better on a roster. He could get every coach better. He goes, you're really good coaching the elite guys, but you can't coach the mediocre dudes. You can't do it. And he goes, I'm going to challenge you to look within. He didn't challenge me to go coach them better. He challenged me to look within. He's like, who do you want to be? And how great do you want to be? And I truly wanted to impact lives. I truly wanted to be a better person, a better leader. So being a jerk coach wasn't going to work. And when I looked at it, I was a jerk to the underperformers, the mediocre guys. And I still don't do well with them all the time. But I was like, man, if I can reach more people personally and professionally, I'm going to have a better career. So I looked within and looked at it with a level of humility and looked at myself and I had to change. And, and here's what I would say, Dan, this is awesome. My mentor, going back to Rod Olson, and I think a lot of coaches listening need to look within. And even us, we still need to look within. He said, you never want to be the oh no coach. And I was like, what? And I was the oh no coach. And it's like, oh no, here he comes. I need to walk the (laughs) other way. 
Oh no, what am I doing wrong? He's about to tell me. Oh no, I didn't make every shot. What's my penalty going to be? And like, I literally wrote, oh no, on my whiteboard at Boise State for two years. And I still didn't do a great job of it all the time. And I said, but like, I don't want to be the oh no coach anymore. And I had to look in the mirror, man. I had to own that. And I'm still working on those things, trying to get better at it sometimes. Coach, thanks for sharing and being reflective. I like to just ask, why do you think, or what was the struggle with your, I don't know, unwillingness, or you didn't prefer to coach the underperforming guys, the guys at the end of the bench? Easy answer. thought it was all about winning. It was all about succeeding. You thought it was either one way or the wrong way. That was it. I'm reading, you know, Tim Grover's book, Winning, right now. Like, I love it. And I read Relentless back then. I agree with a lot of it. But then there's sometimes, like, I've worked with some of the best. There's only so many Michael Jordans and Kobe's out there. You know what I mean? Not everyone's just going to wake up and rip someone's heart <laughs> out and stab someone in the throat. And, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I just think it was all about success. It was all about winning and only one way to get there. And so many times when you're working with an average performer, mediocre performer, you're like, you set this bar so high, it's like, man, it's not going to work. And here's the, again, using that word separator. And again, I'll come back on if you guys want. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to be the best. Like right now, I want to be the best, not from an ego standpoint, but the best of getting players better. Like hopefully we break down our workouts, like we said, of development of skill, of conceptual, better or as good as anybody in the country. That's what we're trying to do. But when you go back to it of reaching those mediocre performers, or even maybe just someone who's good and hasn't taken that next step, everyone says the coach and the player, they got to what? Meet halfway. Like, meet me halfway. Meet me halfway. You know what I realized? Everyone else wants to do that. But if you do what everyone else does, you get what everyone else gets. I don't want what everyone else gets. I want a nicer house someday, a nicer car. I want better results. Dame wants a championship. Dame wants an MVP. Uh, Joel Embiid wants an MVP. So you can't do what everyone else does. So it's the same thing as a coach. So instead of, and this is where like I had some mentors in my life that helped me a ton, instead of saying like, hey, this guy has to meet me where I am, you know, meet me halfway, I flipped it and I said, I'm going to meet them where they are right now. Mm -hmm. And if I could just get them to take that next step correct, we could see what happens after that. But so many times we're worried about steps three, four, and five. Let's just get them to take that next step moving forward to help our team win or for them to grow as an individual or for them to grow developmentally as a player. Can we just get them to take that next step? And if we could do that, me and my team here in Phoenix, if we could do that more than other trainers and other coaches, we're going to get better results in the long run. A quick thank you to our newest partner here at Slapping Glass, one of the best tech companies in the world of sports, Huddle. As many of you know, Huddle extends an array of useful products to coaches from their auto tracking camera, Huddle Focus, live streaming tool, Huddle TV, wearable athlete performance tracker, Wemu, and their newest offering, Huddle Instat, an all-in-one data powerhouse platform that combines advanced tagging with a global film library. For more information on all that's offered with Huddle Instat, visit huddle.com slash slapping glass today. Thanks to Huddle for the support. And now back to our conversation. Coach, great so far. We want to transition now to a segment on the show we call Start, Sub, or Sit. And so we'll continue with some of these themes here in this section. So uh, what we'll do is we'll give you three different options, ask you to start one, sub one, sit one, and then we'll uh, have some fun, discuss your answer from there. So Coach, if you're ready, we'll dive into this first one. I'm pumped about this one. I love it. I, I love that you don't send the questions in advance. Like, And also, I'm the guy, like when I see it on Twitter or social media, like start one, sub one, sit, like I can't ever decide unless it's just like a player I can't. I'm like, that's easy. So now uh, I'm a little, actually, I'm a little nervous to see what you're going to throw out there and see okay. what decision I got to make. These are definitely in your wheelhouse. So I'm excited to, yeah. to hear your answers on these. So this first question has to do with program clarity or creating clarity within your program. And these are three different things that a leader can have clarity on when they come in to kind of take over program or running a great program. And your start here would be the most important to be clear on. So start, sub, or sit. A program's core values, the things that they believe in. The second is expectations or standards of the program, or the third is 
role clarity, maybe leadership positions or how that program is divided. So start, subset those three options. Man, I'm going to get killed with this question because I've worked for some really, really good leaders and I know their answers and some might be different, but I'm going to go with my approach because like right now, think about it. The last two years, you know, I've gotten to work under Doc Rivers and he is maybe the best at role clarity. And I'm going to scratch that one. <laughs> that, okay. Okay. That's like, if, so if he sees it, he's probably going to kill me. He's going to be like, <laughs> I would say the one I'm going to start with is actually the standards. I know most okay. people maybe say values. I'm going to go a little bit backwards just because of how we've run our business the last four or five years in Phoenix. And then I'd say, you know, the one I'm going to sub in would be values. Okay. I'd love to just dive in with your start then and why that would be the place you would start with your program on the standards. Yeah, I think that standards. So this is cool. One thing we do, and this is amazing. I, I don't think I've told this story publicly. We have a very short little like PDF deck and it's called player standards. We have four player standards. Anyone who wants to train with us, college, pro, anybody, we text them those player standards they have to agree to those before they train with us in Phoenix. So think about it. I've trained some million dollar NBA guys and they're like, what is this dude? Why is he, what are we in high school again? What are we in? I'm like, but I don't care because I do think, and we say this and I'd share it with any coach who wants to reach out or you guys, I'll text it to you after this. It says player standards. And then right under it, it says our way is not for everyone. And I'm okay with that. That's helped me become a way better coach, way better leader. Our way is not for everyone because the standards, I think standards almost relate to culture more than values do. Okay. And in so much of it comes from some of the best leaders I've worked with, but your standards are what's acceptable and what's freaking not. What is going to help you win and what is not? What's going to help you get closer to your goals and what is not? There are yeses and nos. There are absolutes. There is no freaking gray area in success sometimes. We talk about it all the time. Success has requirements, not options. And if I'm going to have a program, a business, um, any of this stuff, it starts with our standards because that's how we do things every single day. And if we don't start there, I don't know where we're going to go. We have to know how we're going to perform, how we're going to function, how we're going to show up. So really quick, I'll give you our four player standards. Be committed, be on time, be professional, and be hardworking. If you're going to work with us, be professional, be on time, be hardworking, be committed. And here's what's crazy. Guys, I swear I have texted these standards to players who are supposed to come out here and I told them, you better not be late to your first workout, this and that. They don't show up after that. Like they were hmm. saying, like, I'm going to be here on May 15th. Oh, hey, I'm actually just going to stay in Chicago and work out now. Sorry, my team wants me here. Like BS, the standard scared you or how serious we, you really just wanted to come to Phoenix and hang out in Scottsdale and sit at the pool and just kind of work out. Like we don't just work out, we train. Think about that. Like what do boxers do? They train, they hit that pad. 500, 600 freaking times. Like they are just pop, 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 pop. So those player standards are non-negotiable and that's where we start. And then within those, we define them. Well, being professional to you guys might mean one thing. Being professional to us means like we're not wearing jewelry in workouts. We're not going to like freaking have a stocking cap of beanie on. Being professional means we introduce ourselves to everybody when we walk in the gym. You don't just walk by another human and ignore them. So those four standards are how we're going to work, how we're going to do it. And every single person, whether it's intern, coach, or player, we're going to do it that way. Absolutely. I just wonder how you came up with those four rather than say six or seven or how you settled on those four for you. Yeah. If everything's important, nothing is. Mark Laurie, great serial entrepreneur, just bought the Timberwolves. He's like, with values, standards, he's like, you can never have more than five. How I came up with those standards, the last five years of doing this, those have been our standards. But 10 years before that, I coached at the college level in a year with the Thunder. I just looked at a player trying to make it, make it in the NBA or become first team all conference or whatever it is. What holds them back? What are those things just as a coach, we got to look them in the eye in and say, I'm not going to cheat you. I'm going to hold you accountable to this. You cannot do this shit and end up where you want to end up. That's what it was. Like, here's being committed. You know what being committed means? 
if you say you're going to do something, do it. That's what it comes down to. If you set up your workout plan and all week and say, hey, I'm going to shoot with you Saturday morning, do it. The best of the best I've been around, they are who they say they are, and they do what they say they're going to do. If they say they're tough, they're going to be freaking tough. If they say they're a great teammate, they're going to be a great teammate. They say they're going to work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We came up with those standards, and you could tell I get passionate about this, because like we're not going to fail because we didn't check those four boxes. All right, Coach, our next one for you. Moving back to the court. We call this one when drills go bad. (laughs) So when you're watching a drill or on the very rare occasion when you're leading the drill, start subset three things that would be the biggest culprit to, let's say, a drill gone bad, a poorly executed drill, with the start being the biggest culprit. So option one is maybe incorrectly constrained, whether it's over or under. Option two would be the intensity of the drill, lack of intensity probably. Or option three is coaching interventions. And again, a lack of coaching interventions or maybe too many coaching interventions. Okay. I would maybe change two of the three, which I'm not going to do. Let's do it. But uh, number one, I'm going to start the coaching interventions. It starts with the coaches. Number two, a sub would be intensity. And then the third one, I'm going to get, ah, you know what? No. Flip it. See, I'm a bad decision maker. That's why I was talking about like, I'm like buyer's remorse, shopper's remorse with everything. Can't make a decision. I would say start the coaches, sub the constraints uh-huh. or, you know, details of the drill, third the intensity, okay. uh, scratch the intensity. And coach, well, we've had coaches sit everything, really? change it around. So I'd like to throw it back to you. What are the other two that you would have added in there? Yeah. But first, I think, you know, again, the separator, it always starts with the coach. That's what helped change my career too. Going back to, you know, Dan's question, like what made you, like, it's not the player's fault. We're either coaching them to do it or we're allowing them to do it. So it always starts with the coach. Like, did you teach? Did you? And so it's it's always on us first. And when you do that, you're probably going to get better results. Here's the one I would maybe throw in there. How bad does the player want to do it? No. Okay. If the kid doesn't want to do it or the kid doesn't want to work and there's no level of buy-in or trust or whatever, because sometimes I think coaches correct too much because I'm a guy, if there is something really, really wrong, I stop it. I teach like you got to get it right. But then also there's sometimes I literally just talked to my assistant coach about this yesterday here in Phoenix. You know, one of the guys working out with us, he's new. He doesn't know all of our stuff. So I'm trying to be intentional. And I'm like, hey, I really just want to get this and this done with them and kind of let some of the other stuff just kind of go right now because it's more important to get his trust for him to feel comfortable, for him to get out of his shell, because I know if he sticks with us in a month or two, now every single detail and every single thing we could crush. And his buddy, what was cool is by the end of that workout, like one thing clicked in the first trip. Okay. Let's just say we have four things in every drill. You know, he's got a first mm-hmm. thing click and I just let the other three go. And I didn't used to do this. Then the second drill, two things, the third drill, three, by the end of the workout, all four things are clicking and he's bought in more his buddies with him. Who's at every session who helps rebound. He goes, Oh my gosh, he looked like a robot. He looked like a machine. He was just doing it. But again, I had to allow him to get there. So that's why when you go through this, what the components of a bad workout or a bad drill, things that are going wrong, we always look for these specific things and want to fix it. Or maybe it's the constraints or maybe it's the intensity. It always starts with the coach. And then I think if you really want to get it right, you have to ask, where is that player right now in your relationship, your trust, your communication, and also in his development, you can't ask them. Here's a great one. And, and I'm telling you, this is really skill specific for drills, whether it's player development drills or team drills. Sometimes the end result that we want as a coach is not as possible as often as we want because there is a skill set absolute or a deficiency that isn't good enough holding them back. And like, mm-hmm. here's the best one I see. Just like the height of handle, how high, how hard, the way those guys dribble. I always talk about it. If you sit six, seven rows up in an NBA game and you watch Damian Lillard or Russell Westbrook play, and I've never worked with Russ. I know him. I love him, though. You could hear their ball breaking the floor. You could hear their ball bouncing Mm -hmm. through the floor. And sometimes we want these great passes or great shots made like And our kids, high school, college, or NBA, this is all levels, their shoulder, their forearm, they are not strong enough 
and sharp enough to pick it up consistently to get the result we're ultimately trying to get to. Coach, my last question just has to do with the intensity. And I've heard you talk about too, like pace and purpose of your workouts. So I guess just how do you think, okay, this is a drill where I need the intensity or this is a drill like we can slow the pace down, but we want the purpose to be spot on. It goes back to what you guys first started this interview off with. It's like, what type of workout is it? Is it skill development? Is it development? You know, is it conceptual work? Most of the time in skill development, there's not going to be a lot of question about pace. The best coaches, they define pace because nine out of 10, hard for me, is going to be a little hard to reach sometimes. And some of these kids haven't even felt that. Like there was one time I literally in college put a kid on a treadmill, incline of 12, speed of freaking 10, and I'm like, run. And he, what we're like, he was blue. I'm like, that is too fast. Do you understand? You're like, you're falling and having a grab. That's too fast. Slowed it down a little bit and he could run, but he was dying. That's how hard we're going to train on these days. So we know these numbers along the way. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. hey, pal, your six is about my two, just so you know. Like, you're going to have to go a lot harder than that. But then, like I said, going back to development. I don't even care about pace, you know, with that stuff. And sometimes the best coaching you get done in development is slow pace, a walking pace. And it's even done with one player, one coach, and one basketball. Because think about it. Sometimes that player misses. Maybe you're working on shooting and that misses so bad. What does the coach have to do? Run over there, go get the ball. What's the player doing during that maybe 12, 13 seconds? Versus like the next one's coming in. So I'm telling you, the two things that we emphasize in every workout, pace and force. And I learned that with the Thunder, greatest assistant, Rex Kaleman, been in the NBA for so long. He just goes, man, the best guards I've ever been around in the NBA, they play with two things. They play with speed and they play with force. And we know all college players, like the pre-draft kid I have right now, he is doing everything fast on Monday and Tuesday. I'm like, slow down. And you could still do things hard, no. but slow, like the level of force, the level of pounding, the, and that's okay. You don't have to do everything fast and hard, but sometimes we do just want speed. So speed and force are something we really define. And also we talk about, and like I said, put a number on it in whatever type of workout we're going to do. Well, coach, you're off the uh, start, sub, or sit hot seat. Thanks for going through those and playing with us. That was a lot of fun. We really appreciate your time today and all your thoughts and for going so yeah deep on all these things. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, I meant it. I'm fans of what you guys do. You guys are junkies. Your stuff gets guys better. It doesn't seem like we've gone an hour here at all. Coach, our last question here to close, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? Man, that's a good question. And I love the word investment because I think we're all investing something like everything comes at a cost, you know, and whenever you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another thing. And it's not always, you know, a monetary cost, but sometimes whatever sacrifice you're making or whatever you do, it's going to cost you something, whether your time, you know, any of those things. Am I only allowed to give one investment or can I give? You could do a couple. Okay. I'll tell you what, the first investment when I started off early in my career was just an investment to put myself in a room or around winners, no matter the cost. So maybe this goes against like business investments, but like I had a chance to work for one division one school and make some money and get a salary and they were okay. I didn't know if I aligned with them again, standard wise, value wise, you know, those type of things. But I chose to work for another division one school for free because I knew we would win there. And I believed in the coach and I believed in the leader. And that was Weber State. So just making an investment, I actually hate the phrase, you know, bet on yourself. And I get it. I get where it comes from. But there's a great book I suggest all coaches read. It's called The Power of a Humble Life. The quote's right here on this side of my office and just says, all we are and all we have is either a gift from God or others contributing to our life best quote in the whole book. And I made the choice. I made the investment to work for free for two years at Weber State so we could win championships, be around great players, be around a great culture and know that that would take me somewhere else. I've really tried to do that, like investing in myself to put myself in the right room around people who are smarter, better, who have high standards, who do it the right way. 
Here's the second one, though, and this maybe could have been my first answer because this is the more recent one, especially the last seven years. Invest in finding a truth teller, someone who will tell you the truth, who will look you in the eye and say, like, that ain't good enough. That's not who you say you are. Like to invest and be intentional and be purposeful about finding that. Mine was Rod Olson, that coach, you know, I've told you about that's helped so much. Mm -hmm. And now the other one, and I'm going to make him watch dame lillard now and he's a grown man family you know 31 years old he's a truth teller to me he'll be like phil i didn't like that tweet or phil you shouldn't have got on this player this hard (laughs) if you invest in a truth teller who really knows you and who really cares about you it will accelerate your life and your career and then the progress of those that you're lucky enough to lead it will accelerate that so freaking much so I know I say invest in yourself, putting yourself in a room for free, but it might be finding that truth teller, finding that person that will hold you accountable and give you the truth no matter what. You know, we had been recommended Coach Beckner from some other people we've known about how you know, great of a the trainer he is and mm-hmm. that eventually it would be great to have him on the podcast. So we were lucky that he took some time for us today and did not disappoint at all, really going into detail on a lot of the stuff that, you know, makes him such a great trainer uh, and coach. And so we thank him there. Let's just get right into this. Just the first bucket. We talked a lot about you and I off air of where to kind of try to go with the conversation because he's spoken on a number of topics when it comes to skill development and things like that. And we tried to kind of hone in on the conceptual part first, which is, you know, building outside of just the straight skill. And yeah, I think it was a fun conversation to hear his thoughts on kind of connecting skills to more of a scheme or overall concept. I agree as far as deciding where to go. I mean, whether it was right or wrong, you know, I mean, in terms of he, he does skill development pretty damn well. So, he does. you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I think it was fun. To, I think he was excited to to kind of dive into the conceptual workouts. And as he alluded to, something he's been thinking more and more about and trying yeah. to incorporate. I like thinking about the conceptual workouts as just how he tries to help guys listen, learn, and comprehend. Kind of building off that, I, I think the comprehensive component of it and the conversation that we got in there. The one thing I highlighted too, just is the importance of just starting better or having the guys start the drill properly and kind of setting the tone that way in terms of comprehension and concentration was kind of the first thing that jumped out at me. I mean, I wrote down so many nuggets, so I won't go through them all, but I'll kind of kick it back to you. And I agree with you. I think one of the things that you and I love, like different coaches that we're lucky to have on the podcast, but you know, when someone's profession is to think about how to make other people better, they often Mm -hmm. stumble into the correct way to teach and learn or at least you know really great fundamental points on how people learn like how people develop skills better how people take knowledge in and things like that and i think with coach beckner he obviously spends a ton of time both you know on the court obviously then off the court thinking about how do people learn how do people develop skills how do you motivate you know all those things and it's fun for us to steal his knowledge and take it here on the podcast. And I think like that kind of shown through the whole podcast, obviously, but you know, his job is to make people better. Like it's what he thinks about all the time. And I really did enjoy talking about how players learn and then how like the drills that you construct and how you start the drills to get to your point too, can help speed up or enhance that learning process. And then whatever you're going to do handoffs and, you know, skips to three, whatever it is, it's more like thinking through the mechanics of the drill and how Phil does that. I just kind of took away over the the course of the whole conversation and reminded me of like, you know, we had Drew Dunlop and Jake Grossman from the pro lane on, and we've gotten a chance to work with them a lot. They think about this stuff all the time and how players learn. Peter Lonergan, head of basketball Australia for coaches, like thinking about from the coaching development side, they think about Mm -hmm. it. So those kind of popped into my mind too, of similar threads of just really honing in on that skill was great to me. Yeah. And building off of that, I think it was your question that I liked when, in terms of the learning aspect, overloading players and looking at drills and 
how he thinks about overloading. He gave that great example of kind of like the rookie or the young pro mm-hmm. versus the veteran who could go. If there was five things he asked, the veteran could do all five and the younger player was getting two or three. And just yeah. the importance of the overloading and teaching and helping them learn and asking these guys to not only execute all five things, but execute them at a high pace or whatever yep. skill or fashion they're asking them to do it. For sure. And I guess kind of diving into start subset and tying this to it was your question about, you know, the drills gone wrong one. And we talked a lot about this, you and I off air about the three that we might throw at them. We had different ways where we were going to try to go with this, but I like where we ended with it, with the constraints and he was good speaking on it all starts with the coach and the intervention. That was obviously a big takeaway there as what he started and that whatever your drill construct, whatever it is, it does come back to coaching and how much you interject and how good you are as a coach kind of teaching that exact drill. Yeah. And I wrote down his phrase, you know, he doesn't want to get MBA'd or he doesn't want to MBA the guys where it's just <laughs> right. like nonsensical yeah. reps, but really yep. making sure the emphasis is of course reps with purpose. I enjoyed this question because listening in our research, listening back to other podcast interviews he was on, he had mentioned, you know, just with guys he brings onto his staff and seeing Coaches struggle to teach through drills or teach drills. So for us, this is actually one of the start up sit questions that I think came a little bit easier. I mean, yeah, it was kind of a low hanging fruit, but a good question. And I enjoyed his response, of course, and just hearing like what matters to him or what he thinks makes a good drill. And I think it was no surprise, just the level of interventions from the coach, whether when needed and missed or when not needed and overcoached and the role it plays in that drill. For sure. And then I think the other stars subset on the program clarity, core values, roles, standards, expectations. You know, he started the standards and expectations, and you could tell this is something that's he's passionate about. And I thought there was some really interesting side notes that he's talked about too, of just how he's gotten to his philosophy on coaching and life. And you know, he mentioned that he was a a jerk. I mean, his words as a college coach and how that's kind of changed for him and how it's made him a better coach going through those years of where he was kind of getting burnt out. He was doing things a way he didn't like. And then it kind of bleed into this answer here on how big it is to have the standards and clarity on those things. And so overall, I think just a nice eight to 10 minute segment, whatever it was of thinking about what's important to your program and, and why those things make a difference. Yeah. I appreciated his honesty when he spoke to on how he was just the bad coach for the players at the end of the bench that he really only wanted to coach the top players and no true insight on my end. I just appreciated him sharing that and just reflecting on it and just the mistakes he made. And I think we're all guilty of that. Part of it is just the fact you are with your top players, probably more. I mean, there's just more game interaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, something that we all have to be cognizant of is trying to make sure coaching those bottom players uh, as much as the top. And maybe it's not in reality likely to be completely even, but still just knowing that's important is a takeaway there. So the one I want to say miss for me, I'd love to have him back at a certain point and just talk more about shooting and building someone's shot and mechanics and kind of getting, I wouldn't mind getting kind of nerdy with it for a while and just like, Let's walk through it. Tell me when you get a player in and their shot is, I don't want to say broken, but like you're just going to really do some work. Like let's go through the steps and the mentality and the drills and just really go through a good half an hour on just shooting and how that plays out. He touched on it. We touched on it for a second, but you know, the conversation went somewhere else, which was totally fine. But for me, I'd love to continue to maybe pick his brain or maybe, you know, the next trainer we have on just Let's just dive in on shooting for yeah an unhealthy amount of time. <laughs> yeah, no, so, so it's just you and fat. me listening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really niche down. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> uh, so we. I, I. I'm always super fascinated, and we did talk about this a little bit with uh, Drew and Jake on the pro line, like just identifying errors or mechanical yeah. problems within their shot. I think just developing that eye, sometimes it can be hard to see. And so that's just how they approach it and how they identify the chinks in the armor, so to speak. For sure. Well, we thank Coach Beckner again for coming on. Pat, unless there's anything else, we'll wrap up this wrap up. Let's wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping back or <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like That's that. Good. Those are all <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs>